Thank you, Rudy. Good morning to one and all. Let's begin this morning's service by a brief word of prayer. Father, I thank you. I praise you. Above all, for the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would descend mightily and speak to every man, woman, and child, not only here physically present, but whomever may be hearing this message, and that you would speak specifically according to the needs and to the purpose of each individual. You're more than able to do that. Help us to be receptive and willing. We pray that we would leave this place more encouraged, hopeful, joyful. We pray in the name of the beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all his people said, Amen. You may have noticed this morning that the reading covered 40 verses. We will do our very, very best to do with justice. And um, you can't blink because you're going to potentially miss something. There's a lot of stuff happening in these 40 verses. There's a lot of stuff. It's a time of transition. It's transition in leadership. And it's a time of transition with regards to the people who are going to be hearing the message. This is a mission. A mission is an undertaking, a pursuit, an endeavor with a specific purpose and goal. This mission is an offshoot of the Great Commission that the Lord Jesus Christ left to all of his leaders, his apostles. Mission Commission, transition. Now we have three individuals who figure prominently in this story. Three proper nouns. There's a guy called John. Not to be confused with John the Baptist or the Apostle John. But it's John also known as Mark. And he goes from being known as John to becoming Mark. There's another guy whose name, original name was Joseph. Joseph the Levite, and he's referred to as Barnabas, and Barnabas means son of encouragement. So we have John Mark, we have Joseph the Levite who becomes Barnabas, and finally we have a character who was known previously as Saul, and now he becomes Paul. And the transition is that previous to this passage this morning, it used to be Barnabas and Saul, and from this moment on, it's Paul and his companions, and it causes an issue. We'll see that it causes problems, and we have our friend John Mark, who we find out is not always reliable. As a matter of fact, he's quite the opposite of that. But he goes on to write the Gospel of Mark. He goes from John to Mark. So I need you to remember those three names. And if we can just quickly take a look at a map. And if you were here last week, if you were here last week, uh, we had um, Doug Virgent introduce the first mission. I'm bringing up this map so that you can visualize because also the names are a source of confusion here. That mission starts from Antioch in Syria, where it's marked the starting point. We're heading southwest to Cyprus, 
which is the beginning point of the mission, and it was the object of last week's message. And then, and then, our Paul and his companions get on a ship, and they head northwest to Perga, which is modern-day Turkey. And as if things were not complicated to begin with, the ultimate objective is another Antioch. It's not Antioch from Syria, but Antioch, Pisidian, and it's a straight climb. Um, by some estimates, between 3,600 and 4,000 feet heading there, and they end up in a synagogue where they're invited to speak. So please remember this, and of, um, of importance, the last line where we see the path that John Mark, John Mark returns to Israel. So John Mark starts off with all of these characters. He's part of the team, makes it to Cyprus, makes it through Cyprus, gets on the ship, but somehow something happens on the ship, and it's not good. There's heated discussion in the ship. So by the time they get to Perga, we read, and it's easy to just miss it, but we read that John Mark does what? Does he continue on the way to Antioch? No, he does the opposite. So he gets to Perga, and then he gets on a ship going back to Jerusalem. Okay? So we know that there, it starts off with three people at least, and we're down to two because of an argument. And we'll talk about potential reasons that caused that argument. And one of the lessons that I want to convey today is that believers are far from being perfect. These are the superstars of the Christian gospel of that time, and there's infighting and bickering and division. There were a million reasons for this whole thing to fail. A million. We're not talking about a couple of guys starting a mega company in a garage. This is much, much, much more difficult. There's no advanced team. There's no human resources. There's no finance. There's no security. There's no rule of law. There's opposition and adversity and enemies on every single side. This thing should have failed. It should have failed. It didn't have a chance. The odds were all stacked against it. And here I am, 2,000 years later. I'm standing here, and I'm going to speak to you about the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of Christianity today. Now, I know a lot of you may be discouraged because you look in Quebec, and you get the feeling that nothing is happening. And yes, indeed, it's tough slugging in Quebec. It's tough slugging in the rest of Canada. And it's difficult in the rest of North America. But I want to assure you this morning that the gospel is moving forward and powerfully throughout the whole world. It started in Jerusalem, and it's just like throwing a rock into a body of water, and you have these concentric circles that keep spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading. And it's growing mightily in South America and Central America. The gospel is moving forward mightily in Africa, in Asia, everywhere. So there may be dry spots, but we are not to be discouraged or feel defeated because let me tell you something. Categorically and unequivocally, 
God cannot be defeated. God cannot be frustrated. God is sovereign. God will prevail. God will achieve His purpose. And we may be discouraged. And sometimes we may have reason to be discouraged because what happened 2,000 years ago about this infighting happens today. And it happens among people who should know better. And yet... And yet God chooses to use weak and fallible people who love him to achieve his greater goal and his greater purpose. Did you get that? People fight and are wrong and they fight over turf. It's not only money, but they fight over turf and territory and influence. And in spite of us, despite us, the gospel moves forward. The gospel moves forward. And we'll see that when John Mark turns tail and heads back to Jerusalem, this thing should have failed. I don't know if you've ever been in a group of people in a project, whether it's at school, at work, and you all start off with these wonderful ideas and ideals and purpose and objective, and you're going to do a great thing. And somehow, in the group, there's always one person who's a troublemaker, who's an agitator. There's always someone who's saying, well, I would be better at doing this. Or so-and-so is not pulling their weight. Or so-and-so should be doing more. Or should be doing things differently. This happens again, and we'll look into it. Can we move on to the next slide? Not that one. The one with my three key words. So, what are the three key words? Anyone, everyone, no one. Anyone, everyone, no one. I need you to remember those words because we're going to come back to them at the very end. But this message, this message, this transition, one of the transitions is all about anyone, every individual, it's about everyone, the whole group, and ultimately, it's about no one. So I'll keep you guessing, and we'll revisit those three words afterwards. Next slide, please. Let's look at this character, John Mark. This is the first time we find out about him. He's introduced in Acts uh, chapter 12, verse 12, when he realized this, we we're talking about Peter, this is an excerpt of a bigger story, he, this being Peter, went to the house of Mary, as if we don't have enough Marys in Scripture. But this is another Mary. This Mary is the mother of John Mark, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So this is the first time we hear about John Mark. Next slide, please. And listen, look at the order, notice, Barnabas and Saul, and look at the name, the guy is still a Saul, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Next, Acts 13, when they arrived in Salamis, and you may have noticed that Salamis was in Cyprus when they left Antioch. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. 
He was a helper. Okay, he's part of the team. He's an important part of the team. He's helping. Now, Paul and his companions in Acts 13, 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga. Remember when they took the ship and they're heading towards Turkey? And they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. What happened? How come halfway during the trip, this guy, the helper, who's been brought onto the team, gets up and leaves? Something happened on the ship, okay? This was not the love boat. It was not a happy cruise. Something happened. And by the way, do you notice something else in Acts chapter 13, verses 13, with regards to the appellation and the designation of the team now? It's no longer Barnabas and Saul. It's Paul and his companions set sail. There's a transition here. There's a transition. The new leader or the top guy, or at least the face of the mission is a guy named Paul, who used to be known as Saul. Paul is a Greek name that the Gentiles would recognize. Saul was his Jewish name. Just in case you weren't aware, Barnabas and John Mark are relatives. They're cousins. Okay? So... In the secular world, in the business world, in the criminal world, people are often fighting over territory, turf. Because whoever controls the territory and the turf controls the money, and they also control something else that's not money. It's influence. It's power. It's who decides what we do when we do it, and how we do it. So when there's a change of leadership here, the influence of Paul is on the ascent, and Barnabas is, no, is not necessarily a guy who's been cast out, but the front man, because if you were here last week, the guy who got up and challenged the sorcerer was who? It was Saul. It was Paul. He was the guy who got up and had the chutzpah to challenge everyone and to speak truth to them. So something is happening here, and there's, there's speculation as to why Mark went back to Jerusalem. It may have been an argument over territory and leadership and power. By the way, he may very well be the guy also in Mark chapter 14 who's there when Jesus is arrested and he's got dressed in a hurry and he was just wearing linen and when they came to arrest Jesus, he decided to run away as well. And he was left in a very embarrassing state, if you remember the story, when he had to escape. Someone latched onto him and he was in such a hurry to take off that he wasn't wearing anything. So there's not a very good history here for John Mark. What's his background? When things get tough, what does he do? 
He runs. Who wants a runner? Let's look at the next passage. Now, Luke drops a bomb here. There's one word that's underlined that refers to John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take, subsequent to our passage, there was another mission. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for, Cy uh, for Cyprus, and Paul ended up taking Silas with him. Brothers and sisters, this is dysfunctional. It's not good. It's not good. When people say they had a sharp disagreement, that is a very polite way of saying that there was a major role. They had a major argument. And I want to ask you, inside of yourselves, who was right? Was Paul right in saying, listen here, Barney, this guy, when things get tough and the rubber hits the road, what does he do? He takes off. He hightails it. How can we possibly, how can we possibly do this again? We've seen this movie and we know the way it ends. He's a good guy and all, but he's not someone we can rely on. What does Barnabas answer? Listen here, Polly. Do you remember who you were? Who's the guy who came out and brought you on board? Who's the one who vouched for you? Who's the one who brought you in the fold when you were a pariah? Can we look at the next verse? Oh, by the way, I'm fast-forwarding here, but further on, there's a happy ending. I think we got that happy ending too soon, but Luke alone is with me. So this is Paul writing in 2 Timothy, Luke alone by the way, the same guy who wrote this letter. He's the only guy with me. Get Mark. He's no longer John. He's Mark. And bring him with you. For he's what? He is very useful to me for ministry. There's a lesson here. I'm coming to the lesson. Okay? So the same guy who wanted to turf. This is Paul writing. Paul wanted to turf. We don't want to have anything to do with John, a.k.a. Mark. Get rid of him. He's not part of the team. He had a couple of chances. He messed things up. And here we are, several epistles later, and says, oh, by the way, I'm all alone with Luke. I need some help. Bring this character back to me. So something else happened. Let's fast forward. Let's look at our third character. This is where we have the introduction of Joseph. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, Okay? His first, his real name is Joseph. He's from Cyprus. And someone was given an alternate name. Why do people give other people alternate names? Because that alternate name says something about them. It's descriptive of their character. Especially when everyone's got the same name. In this church, I'm John the Italian. We have Johnny the drummer. We have Johnny from the Philippines. 
We have another guy whose last name is John, Joash John from India. So it can get confusing. So we're looking for ways to distinguish one person from the other. So this is what happens. This is what Barnabas does, okay? Listen carefully. Read carefully with me. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Who's the he here? Who's the he? Saul. Okay? He wants to be friends with the apostles. He wants to fellowship with them. How are the other people feeling about him? And they were all afraid of him. By the way, we're going to call a spade a spade. Saul is an assassin. He's a killer. He's got a lot of blood on his hands. He's a bad, bad, or at least he was a very bad man. If we go back to Acts chapter 7 when we were first introduced to him, and beginning in the first verse of chapter 8, we find out that Saul was the number one cheerleader in this hunt against the Christians. He's a bad man. He's a very bad man. That's why they were afraid of him. Who's the they? It's the other believers. And they had reason. They should have been afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. As a matter of fact, he was so wise in the ways of manipulation that many believed that he pretended to be a Christian so he could get closer to them, so he could take more of them out. Look what Barnabas does. Barnabas is the risk taker. But Barnabas took him brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen, he being Saul, had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So we got Barnabas, he's taking a huge risk. He's putting literally his, ha his arm around Saul and he's saying, he's one of us now. You can trust him. He took him and brought him. This Barnabas guy is pretty special. He may no longer be the face of the ministry. He's a very special guy. Next verse. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them. He's, no, he's not only positive... He's an encourager. This guy's positive. Every church needs half a dozen Barnabases, okay? When everyone's down in the dumps, this is the guy who lifts everyone's spirits and says, you know what? It's not as bad as it looks. It's good. God is in control. God is sovereign. God will not be defeated. Sent Barnabas to Antioch when he came and he said, all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was what? He was a good man, full of what? Full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And the great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas, what does he do? He goes to Tarsus. And who's in Tarsus? Saul. He went looking for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the Syrian Antioch. This is how all of that group starts off with the first mission as they sail to Cyprus. This is the background. So 
If, there's no, if God is not using Barnabas to vouch for Saul, if he's not using Barnabas to look at Tarsus, because if you look at our map, Tarsus is pretty much along the coast of the Mediterranean, but to the northwest. The guy went out of his way. He, it was a huge trip to go and get this character and bring him back to Antioch. All of this is very interesting and very nice, and we all feel good. What does that mean to us today? What's the application as they're embarking on this important mission? Remember, this is mission impossible. This is mission impossible. We know in the story, when Pat read the passage, that there's serious stuff going on afterwards because Paul and his companions are becoming way too popular. In the space of a week, the whole city, the whole city is following them. And what does that create? It creates jealousy. Because what? Some other people are losing their turf. Some other people are losing their influence. Some other people are losing their power. This guy is a bit too powerful for his own good. So, here we are. Here we are, and we're at Antioch Pisidian. And who is the guy who gets up to talk? Who's the guy? Is it Saul or Paul? If you study the book of Acts, you will notice that whether it's Stephen or Peter, they address the children of Israel. They're addressing the Jews. The address always starts with men of Israel, children of Abraham. But transition number two takes place here. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand. And listen, this is a pretty bold thing. When people put up their hands, what does that mean? Be quiet. Be quiet and listen to me. And what does he say? Listen to me. And this is key here. The manner in which Paul addresses his audience. In the past, they would have been fellow Israelites. But now what is it? It's fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God. Listen to me! Exclamation mark. This is another version, you who fear God. My version specifically calls out you Gentiles. This is huge. This is huge. Because right now, in essence, what he's saying is that this is not only reserved, this good news, this message of peace and reconciliation, this message of Jesus is not only for the Jews and for the men of Israel. It's for anyone and everyone. And who's left behind? No one. 
anyone, everyone, no one left behind. In pop culture, in modern culture today, people like to use the words diversity and inclusion as if they invented something new. Let me tell you, before the people today came up with inclusion and diversity, inclusion and diversity existed 2,000 years ago. And who are the people that came up with it? God. God, through the message of Jesus being the savior of mankind. I look up here this morning, and all of you people kind of look different. You all come from different places. Most of you have nothing in common. Not the music you like, not the food you eat, not the stuff that you find funny. You got one big thing in common. The most important one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and your trust in Jesus and calling him your savior and your master. That's what you have in common. And I look at all of these diverse faces and there's no preferential treatment. You're all in. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the language that you speak. It doesn't matter your tradition. Your history doesn't matter. This is what matters. You're all part of God's family. You're all part of God's family. Why? Because you decided to trust Him. It's a huge lesson here. It's huge. And if you don't, if you don't read the words carefully, you can easily glance over them, and the important part gets lost. The message is addressed not only to the children of Israel, but it's addressed to God-fearing people, to God-fearing Gentiles. Two times in this passage, in verse 26 again, Paul says, fellow children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, transition in leadership, it's no longer a guy called Saul with his Jewish name, but he has, he's using now his Hellenistic name. The same character. Now, when people ask me, how do you know that God exists? I'll tell you how I know God exists. The same character who was an assassin and whose mission in life, his purpose in life was to kill anything and anyone remotely associated with Jesus he does a 180, and now with the same energy, maybe even more, with the same passion, with, this, with an incredible purpose, he's willing to lay it all on the line for Jesus. God exists. God exists. This thing should have been dead in the water 2,000 years ago. When they buried him and they put guards in front of the grave, this thing should have been dead in the water. It's not. As a matter of fact, even though you get the impression that in Quebec things are not too good with regard to that, and that may or may not be true because we don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. I would not 
propose to put myself in God's shoes and know what he's doing in the hearts and minds of every man, woman, and child. And maybe the numbers don't look good. But let me tell you something that by some conservative estimates, there are 40,000 people every single day that come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ worldwide. Has this thing been nipped in the bud? No. No. It's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. And you know what? It's happening in spite of people arguing. It's happening in spite of God's people being divided at times. And it's happening in spite of the strife and divisiveness. Because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit, by the way, Acts is all about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Not what. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of Jesus at work. The Spirit of Jesus and the Spirit of God is the driver. It's the dynamo. So that is why notwithstanding our failings, we're not the ones doing it. It's the Holy Spirit. So we would be wise to remember when we think we're doing stuff, that it's the Holy Spirit, it's the actual presence of God. This thing should have been dead in the water. The odds were stacked against it. How do I know God exists? Because I know that despite weakness and failing and division and shortcomings of His people, and let's call it the way it is, the movement the known as Christianity the spreading of the good news. The good news being the message of peace and reconciliation with God through His Son, Jesus, crucified, Redeemer of mankind, who took on my sin and your sin. It's going on strong. So brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged this morning. Don't be discouraged. Even if someone here in the church hurt your feelings, don't let it affect your relationship with God. I don't know. This, this, is a, this is a takeaway right now. Please listen carefully. It's a takeaway. Why is it when believers who do bad things to other believers and we're disappointed because other believers, we have higher expectations. They know better. They should be nice. They should be good. They shouldn't be selfish. And when believers do bad things to other believers, who do we take it out on? Who do we take it out on? Who do we blame? We blame God. I, did you just hear that? People inevitably blame God for the weaknesses and shortcomings and failings of other people, even if they're believers. Don't let it influence your faith. The next time a believer disappoints you, it's not God who's disappointing you. Because most of us say, God, how can you let this happen? These people know better. They know you. They read scripture. The Holy Spirit lives in them. Why are they doing these bad things? Why are you surprised? It happened 2,000 years ago. This John Mark character, his feelings were hurt because his cousin wasn't 
the, the lead guy anymore. And the Saul guy is taken. And by the way, in the argument between Paul and Barnabas, who's right and who's wrong? I don't know. If I had been there at the time, I may have sided on the side of Paul. Because I look at someone's past and history and say, you know what? He's got a terrible track record. Can't be trusted. No second chances. No third chances. You're done. Out. Donne-lui son 4% et qu'il s'en va. If you're a Québécois, you know what that, is, what that means. And here you have this extraordinary guy, Barnabas, who doesn't even mind being eclipsed. He doesn't mind that Paul has become the lead guy. Because what? He sees the big picture and he understands the big picture. It's not about Barnabas. It's not about Paul. It's not about John Mark. What's this whole thing about? It's all about Jesus. Jesus needs to be primo. Did you, did you hear this? So in church politics, in Bible study groups, in meetings, inevitably people will rub people the wrong way. Their noses will be out of joint. You need to remember this right now when that happens because it will happen. Who are we going to blame? Do we blame God and do we become estranged from God? Did you get that? By the way, did any of these people, was it God's fault when all of these three guys got into a ruckus? Was it God's fault? By the way, these guys are superstars of their time. In hindsight, they are the superstars of the faith. Was it God's fault? Let me tell you what God does. We fast forwarded to that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, if we can go back there, Kelly, if you can help me with that. This is how I know God exists. God takes a disaster and makes it into a masterpiece. No one else can do this. He makes it into a masterpiece because... Here you have Paul whining and saying, only Luke is with me. Please, please send who? There's another lesson here about our leaders. They were humble enough to admit, someone admitted they were wrong. Someone was humble enough to say, I was wrong. No, 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 I was wrong. Okay. We were wrong. And what happened as a result? Are these guys still fighting? There's forgiveness. There's reconciliation. Only in Christianity do you find this. Because people who are led by the Spirit are not exempt from making mistakes. Listen carefully. They're not exempt from making mistakes. But this is the difference. They can get up and say, I was wrong. I made a mistake. Some people have a really big issue with that. 
A lot of people can't say for the life of them, I was wrong. Somehow, between the big fight and the big kafafo, someone reached out to someone and said, I was wrong. I made a mistake. Please, please forgive me. Thank you very much. The person who had the courage to say the F word. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. Boy, I'm always impressed. I, the people who impress me are the people who have the courage to say, I made a mistake. I was wrong. Forgive me. I'll try to do better. Let's move on. That's how I know God exists. That's how I know that this thing, instead of collapsing, it's getting bigger and bigger. Whether it's in China, whether it's in Central America, whether it's in Southeast Asia. Okay, right now things, in terms of numbers, don't look that good here. But do you actually think God can be defeated? Like, really? Honestly? Do you think the Spirit of God can be crushed? Frustrated? If you think that, and you're getting discouraged, you are seriously underestimating the God that we claim to follow. And the Jesus, who is the Savior and the Master of our lives. Brothers and sisters, we're all fallible here, okay? Let's not pretend. The only difference with us is that at a certain moment in time, someone turned on the lights. The Lord Jesus turned on the lights and said, you know what? I'm not making the grade. Lord Jesus, I know that you are who you claim to be and that you performed that work on the cross for me, for me. And I'm not going to claim any credit, but I'm going to claim you and I'm going to claim your work and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. Don't be discouraged. Please, please. This morning we need a Barnabas moment. We need some encouragement. We need some exhortation. And notwithstanding that things sometimes look dark and bleak, let me tell you the way this ends. God wins. We win. When? I don't know. How long? I don't know. But this is the way it ends. We're going to end on this slide. Remember the three words I told you about? Anyone? Everyone? No one. Ba-bang. Anyone is welcome. What's an anyone? Any one person. You often hear the word that God and Jesus wants a personal relationship. When you're dealing with just one, even if it was just one, anyone is welcome. Everyone who believes in him has eternal life. Everyone in the body of humanity who takes that step of trust and belief has eternal life. That's the promise. It's for you to claim it. No one can force it on you. And ultimately, the only one knows whether you're genuine and sincere is God himself because he knows the hearts of every man, woman, and child. And finally, 
anyone, everyone, no one. No one is turned away. No one can ever tell you, you're not good enough. You can't come. I always hated when we were kids and they're picking teams for street hockey. And I'm the last guy there. <laughs> and then they're all looking at you and saying, well, okay, who's going to take this guy? Who has to take him? And someone's got to take him because we can't start the game. We give him to you. I've heard this. I've been given. I don't know how many times. Take him. <laughs> you can have him for free. We don't, we don't even mind that you have an extra player. Let me tell you about Jesus. I don't care. He doesn't care, not me. He doesn't care who you are, what you are, where you come from, what country, what language, what culture. No one is turned away. Anyone is welcome. Everyone who believes in him has eternal life. No one is turned away. These 40 verses, we could not do justice to them this morning but there's a lot of stuff happening mission from the Great Commission transition leadership people fighting people arguing who's the big honcho when Chris, when Paul has a great success even the same people who told them please get up and encourage us give us a word of exhortation one week later what are they doing they're doing everything they can to crush him, to crush them. Because you know what? Human beings don't like a th power to be taken away from them, from influence. Don't come on my territory. Don't come on my turf. Stay there. I'll stay here. I'll call the shots. Don't come here. Don't upset the apple cart. Let's keep the status quo. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the one and only. You are the one for the ages. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you choose to work through us despite our failings in spite of our weaknesses. Thank you that you're great and you can't be defeated. The victory is already yours. You cannot be frustrated. Thank you, God the Father, for being the sovereign God. And even though things may not always look good, we have to trust you by your word that you are in control, you are the master, you're in sovereign, that you are sovereign, and that at times we just need to let go and we just need to trust you. So this morning, please encourage us. We pray for a Barnabas moment where we leave this place lifted up, notwithstanding all of the baggage that we carry. Lift us up. Put us on eagle's wings. Let us experience your presence and your joy. They experienced joy. The passage ends that they experienced joy, notwithstanding their tribulation and their persecution. Give us one of those moments today. Be with us. Remind us. Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for 
being in us and leading us. Help us to be receptive to you. We pray in the name.